The thing that's going to be crazy is that in 2021, it is going to be insane. There is going to be so many tours, so many movies, so many sporting events. It's going to be an entertainment overload. Welcome to The State of Creative, a podcast dedicated to discussing the topics around the process, the struggle, and the current state of various creative industries. My name is Dustin Phillips. I'm an audio producer and drummer for the punk rock band, The Ataris. In each episode of this podcast, I'll be sitting down with a different creative professional to discuss a specific topic, as well as what's happening in their specific industry. Thank you so much for taking the time to check out this podcast. If you have a topic suggestion or somebody that you would like to suggest to be on the show, please give me a shout on Twitter, at Dustin Phillips, on Instagram, at Dustin Phillips Music, or send over an email to thestateofcreative at gmail.com. Please make sure you hit that subscribe button and enjoy this episode. Hey, what's up, friends? I am so excited to jump into this episode with my good friend, Ted, as he talks about his history and background in the music industry, working behind the scenes as a booking agent. But before we do, I need to give a quick shout out to my friends over at Isotope for helping power the state of creative podcast. If you are an audio professional or you like to get creative with audio, Isotope has everything you need to save you time and money and keep focusing on the creative elements of your audio. Check them out at isotope.com. Now, on to the episode with Ted Felicetti. Hey, what's up, podcast? Welcome back to the State of Creative. My guest today has been working in the music industry for quite a while. He's a musician and songwriter in the band Don't Panic, but also a rad booking agent for bands like The Queers, The Ataris, Richie Ramone, and Bigwig. Uh, my friend, Ted Felicetti. Ted, what is up, man? <laughs> How you doing, Dustin? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for hanging out. I really appreciate you coming on to chat a bit. And uh, yeah, man, I guess before we get started, I just wanted to ask, like, how are you weathering everything with the pandemic right now? Uh, much better now. Uh, you know, my, ma- my main job is, like you said, I'm a booking agent. So, I, you know, I have like the bands I work for. Obviously, none of them are on tour, as right. you would know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and... Uh, so I have no job right now and, uh, it took Pennsylvania a a decently long time to set up their sole proprietor, self-employed unemployment. Uh, so there was a couple weeks, I probably had six or seven weeks where I was just kind of, you know, living off my savings and, you know, luckily I'm, I'm, I'm okay, but you know, for some people, I'm sure it could be really, really horrible. Absolutely. But, uh, once that started coming once once the unemployment started <clears throat> which was probably like early may everything got a lot easier yeah that that eases the burden a bit yeah financially you know you, you know i, I kind of took it at first like everybody where everyone was just super paranoid and worried cuz they didn't really know what the hell was going on and then as things started to calm down a little as far as like hey we understand what this is how it transmits and all that crap I started to kind of ease up on my concern. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm in my mid thirties and, uh, I'm pretty healthy and I know this can affect anybody, but you're, we're talking, you know, 99.8% of people who are our age are fine. And at a certain point I was like, all right, well, I'm, I'm willing to hang out with some friends. I, I haven't gone crazy, obviously, but you know, having a friend over, I, you know, we had band practice yesterday. And the, all, all four, all four of us were together. That, that kind of stuff. I just kind of whatever. 
that's that's kind of where I'm at now. Yeah, definitely. It's it's a it's an odd time for everybody right now. Are you typically more introverted, where you're you know kind of hunkering down at home, anyways? Or are you typically like are you usually like getting out and hanging out as much as you can? Or uh, I'm actually kind of both. Yeah, I, so when I am doing band stuff specifically, like if I'm doing anything with Don't Panic shows or if I'm doing like I'm on tour or I'm like very outroverted. I like to hang out with everybody. I like to see cities and towns. I want to share a meal with people. Uh, but if it's just like my normal day-to-day life, I, I would spend the majority of the month at home watching TV with Sarah and, you know, playing video games and you know, I, I, I like doing both, but like I said, it depends on like the situation. Well, I want to dive now into what you're doing now a little bit more with booking and stuff and kind of go into the scene behind the scenes of the music industry. I know that the role that you're in, you're kind of working as like the horsepower under the hood, I guess, of the music industry. Um, when you go to a show and you see a band on stage, everybody's having a good time. It's often easy to disassociate all the work that happens behind the scenes to make a show happen. Oh yeah. I mean, people don't realize that the show is not just the four guys on stage. It's that there's like a hundred people that from promoting and from advertising and the guy at the radio station and, and the, you know, there's the booking agent and the managers or the, the guy selling the merch. There's so much. Yeah. So much stuff. Right. Yeah. I mean, the band is obviously important, but they're, there's often so many moving pieces handled by an entire crew of management and techs and photographers, video, merch, lighting. Uh, and then in your case, of course, the booking agent, uh, a tour simply doesn't happen without it being booked. I mean, it's a pretty <laughs> crucial role. Uh, whether yeah. it's somebody in the band or an agent, you need somebody uh, to book those shows. Um, I guess what originally got you interested in becoming a booking agent versus just playing the music? So it, it kind of started, uh, the band split 50, like hit me up and they're like, Hey, we're looking to add another guitar player. Do you want to play? And I was like, kind of weighing my, like, all right, do I want to like try and salvage this small band that I had started or join like a legit band? So I, I took the, the more advantageous route for myself and I joined their band. And during the course of that, what wound up happening is, uh, we started after a couple years, we started to form our own production company okay. where we would put on shows and we'd rent out venues and we would book shows to make a living so that we could try and tour and do other stuff. So instead of all of us working at, you know, a pizza place or wherever you're doing in your early twenties and late teens, yeah. we were doing music industry stuff. We were like, oh, that's the dream, right? You get to work in the music industry and then you get to play your own music too. Right. So it started with me being a show promoter. I was, I would, I'd put shows on and rent venues out. And, you know, so I did a lot of shows. I started fire halls and I started doing bigger venues and started booking bigger bands. And then like towards the end of that, we were booking like real legit shows. We were doing like, you know, Hatebreed and Eve Six and like, you know, mm-hmm. big, bigger concerts. Yep. And, yeah. and uh, after a while, I just kind of started to hate it. And during that time, I started like Split 50 wound up breaking up and I started Don't Panic. And this is like, the late 2000s, so like 2008 or so. And I met Chris from your band, the Ataris, because Split 50 had played a festival with the Ataris and we just like kind of struck a conversation, made friends. And I had talked to Chris 
on and off. And he was like, oh, we should do some shows together and that'll be fun. And I was like, cool. I was like, well, how about I book a tour and you let us open and I'll, and my payment will be my band gets to open the tour. Rad. Okay. And, and Chris, it was literally like in between, like they just stopped working with their booking agent and he had, didn't have another one. And I guess he just didn't feel like booking the tour or was, I don't know why he, like he knew me and I guess he knew me from like putting on shows and stuff. So he was kind of like, he trusted me a little bit. Right. So he's like, all right. He's like, let's do that. So I was like, great. So I booked, I booked a, uh, like a 45 date tour. Wow. Uh, yeah. And, uh, I'd never booked a tour before that. <laughs> I mean, except for like booking split 50, right. you're, you know, you know, like booking our shows and our like short little, like, you know, week long tours yeah. or whatever we would do. And it went really good. Like there was no, like we got paid, everyone got paid every night and the tour, like all the shows are like generally really good. Maybe, you know, there's always a couple duds, but yeah, the, the all overall the tour went really well. And Chris was just like, Hey, like you, you did an awesome job. You know, maybe we'll do this again sometime. And then in the meantime, I had some friends in this band called motionless and white and they're up from here in Northeast PA. Yep. And they needed uh, a tour booked. So I was like, I can help you guys, you know, like we'd been working with them for so long as friends and playing shows together. And we were all really tight. And, uh, at the same time, Zach from my old band had started a record label. So he already, he was like releasing their album. So I was like, well, I was like, how about I'll help book your tours then. So then I booked a a couple tours for them. And then Zach started managing the band. He is legend. Okay. And, and, uh, he's like, they need a booking agent. Like, do you want to like book their tours? So I was like, okay. So then I, I, so I started booking tours for He Is Legend. And then Chris again was like, hey, we're going to go on tour again. Do you guys want to do the same deal? And I was like, sure. So like I did it again. And then I made a similar deal with this band called Trust Company. Yep. Uh, and we went on tour with them. And I booked that tour. Wow. And so it started off as kind of like me using it as a vehicle to get my band on tour. Sure. But then I started to realize, like, I kind of knew, like, I kind of was like good at it. Like, naturally, I just understood how it all worked. Right. From also being a promoter. Yep. I had like a little more, I got along a lot better with other promoters because I am a little more empathetic to how their end of this business works. And so a lot of promoters I work with are always like, you know, you, you don't talk to us like you're an agent, like you're not an asshole. Right. You're not, <laughs> and you don't talk to us like, we need you so bad. Yeah. Like, cause a lot of agents act that way. They're just always like, well, fuck you. If you don't want to do exactly what I want. And I, you know, I try and be understanding like, Hey, this guy is also trying to make a living. Yep. He doesn't owe us the show. He's doing it because he wants to make money. Yep. And he's doing it cause he likes to do music. Right. So like, let's always try and find a way to work together. Right. And, uh, yeah. So, and then Chris, uh, basically made me their booking agent. And, uh, he was just like, all right, you know, book, book all our tours, all our shows. So now anytime Chris would go on tour, I'd book their tours. And then I stopped for a while, uh, working with him. Cause he got into like a little tiff with my brother yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I, out of, out of, you know, it was my brother. So I had to kind of stand by his side. Right. Uh, so I stopped working with him, but I mean, I was working with my brother's other band patent pending and I was their booking agent and I was, I was working with some smaller bands for a while. And, uh, then 
Chris and my brother made up a couple years like later. Yep. And Chris called me up and was like, hey, do you want to book our band again? And I said, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And this was like 2014. Yep. That's when I got in. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. So really, you've been, I didn't realize you've been with them so that long. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Nope. No, no, no. Uh, 2016. I'm sorry. Yeah. I've okay. been with the band four years. So this is 2014. Okay. Uh, so I, I, I started booking the Ataris. And then Chris was like, hey, he just called me one day. He's like, hey, Joe from the Queers is looking for a booking agent. Do you want to, do you want me to introduce you? And I was like, absolutely. Yeah. Like, you know, that's awesome. Like, I, I remember the Queers from when I you know, was younger and like, they're always like a classic like punk rock band. Or, you know, so he put me on the phone with Joe and Joe was like, yeah, let's do it. You know, super easy. I was like, awesome. So I started booking for Joe. So I was booking for the Ataris and the Queers. Wow. And, and then Joe was like, hey, my buddy, um, Richie Ramon, who's like, used to be the drummer of the Ramones, right. is looking for a, a U.S. booking agent. Like, do you want to work for him? And I was like, sure. I'm like, okay. So then he put me on the phone with Richie. And then, then I started working for the three of them. So then I was like, hey, this is like kind of a legit thing. Like, maybe I should like make this like a company and like do like do this for a living. Like this, you know for real now. Right. So that's when I started the company. And then Joe again was like, Hey, screeching weasels looking for a booking agent. Yep. And I was like, well, okay. Like that was getting kind of crazy because it was just me, you know, and it still is just me. Right. And you know, screeching weasels, like, you know, pretty well-known band and they're, yep. they're pretty popular. And yep. I was like, all right, I'll, like whatever, I'll just do it and take it on. So it sounds like it really kind of just snowballed from, I mean, you started by offering your service for free. It sounded like, I mean, when you were starting to book for Chris, um, yeah. basically just offering, Hey, I'll do this. If you just kind of throw me a bone type of thing. And by getting your foot in the door by offering free work and then doing a good job at it, it just basically snowballed into what you have now. It sounds like. Yeah. I mean, it turned, like I said, it turned out, it turned from me working for free for him to him being like, Hey, I'm just going to pay you to do this. Obviously, they can't take he can't take my band on tour every time they right. the band goes on tour. Right. So he's like, he's like, there's tours where you know we I still want you to book. He's like, obviously you can't work for free, so like I'll just give you a cut. And I was like, great. Yeah. And and it kind of and it kind of like grew from there. And like, I have I've had bands reach out to me, and I've actually had to like decline yep. uh, to work for them because I can only work for so many people by myself. Right. And and I was like, that's why I no longer work for Screeching Weasel was because it was just me and like they have a lot of stuff they need and I couldn't do that. And I even like we had a conversation. I was just like, look guys, I was like, I'm not making enough money right now to hire a staff. Yep. But I've also, you know, I can't do the amount of work that you need me to do by myself. So I was like, let's find you a, a more proper agency. Oh, okay. So like I like, yeah. So like it was like it wasn't like we didn't get along or something. It was just like I'm getting overwhelmed. Yep. And I had to decide between do I want to work for just Screeching Weasel or do I want to work for the Ataris, the Queers and Bigwig and Richie? Yeah. It's like, I can't put all my eggs into the one basket. It would have been too risky because if if something happened and I lose them, then I lose, I have no income. Where it's like, I'd rather have a bunch of smaller bands that all provide income for me. Well, and at the same time too, you don't want to become overwhelmed to the point where maybe you're not able to do as well the job as you would hope. And then possibly tarnish all the work you've done up until that point, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so 
as we know, as you know, as I know, as a lot of people know now, uh, there's a lot that goes into booking a tour. There's all these moving parts behind the scene. Um, let's put your role into context on a local level for someone that lives in, say, like Chicago or something that maybe doesn't understand necessarily exactly what it is, um, what your role entails, because a lot of people might sure. think, oh, how how can this booking agent get overwhelmed? He just, you know, calls up a venue, books a show, and then he's done. But <laughs> um, what all goes into making that show a success? I guess my my first question be, if you have a tour routing set up, it's going through, say, like we said, Chicago or something, how do you decide the venue? Do you look at things like capacity or are you having venues it, come to you with bids or how does that all work out? It's like literally everything. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the way it would start is, one of my clients, so uh, any of my bands that I work for, will call me, email me, text me, whatever, and be like, hey, we want to go on tour in March. Yeah. Or like, for instance, like the queers are working on a new record right now. Yeah. So they're going to want to go on tour once the new record is out. Like that's the major vehicle for a punk rock band to promote their new music. Yeah. So Joe will be like, all right, our new record comes out in November. This again, like, obviously it's not, but like yeah. this is hypothetical. Yeah. So he says, all right, our new record's coming out in November. Uh, we want to go on tour and we want to hit all of the following places. I want to be able to leave my house in Atlanta and have a decent drive and start here and then make our way back to Atlanta. Okay. So then my, fr my first job is going to be, all right, I have to go through all their previous tour history mm -hmm. based on how long they want to go out on tour. I'll say they want to do 30 days. And we're going to go to all of our best markets. Okay. So I'm going to go through all the old numbers, find out where the places that we had the best turnouts and got paid the, the most reasonable amount of money. Yep. And we're going to try and route 30 days to start them at home and then drive them back home. Yep. Ideally. Yep. It doesn't always work out that way, but that's the ideal situation. Sure. So then I'm going to come up with a map and I'm going to say, all right, here's the dates you wanted to go. Here are all of the places that we should play. And here's the order we're going to play them in. And then I'll send it to whoever, Joe or Chris, and they'll look it over and they'll be like, uh, why don't we move this one here and switch this around? I want to have this day off because I want to see my mom. Mm -hmm. Or you know what I mean? So like, you got to go back and you got to redo it. Yep. So already that's a ton of work. Like that, That's no easy feat, I promise you, if you try it. Right. So... Uh, after you get the routing finally done, now what you've got to do is go through all of your contacts and reach out in each city to all of the venues and promoters that you know of, that you work with, and you know are decent or reputable or going to make sure that your bands are taken care of, make sure they're paid. And you have to reach out to them and be like, hey, the queers are going on tour from this date to this date, and we're going to be in your area approximately in this week span. Yeah, right. Like, let us, let me know which dates at your club or whatever clubs you work with is available. So then they're going to take whatever amount of time it takes them, which sometimes is too long, yep. <laughs> to get back to me and be like, okay, we have this Tuesday, four, Thursday, and Saturday that you requested are free. The rest are not free. So now you're going to mark that in your calendar and be like, okay, this venue in Chicago is free these three days in that time frame. Yep. And then, but then, but you have to reach out to five, six, ten other places in Chicago. You can't just talk to one, yeah. Because if they're not available, then what are you going to do? Right. So now you have like a list of ten venues that are all looking 
for dates for you. And then you get to, you have to put those all in your little Chicago, you know, cell on your Excel spreadsheet and go, okay, everyone in Chicago, here's the dates that are available. And then you have to go back and be like, okay, uh, please send us, you know, what you think is fair for the band or I'll tell them what we need. Yeah. Because sometimes, you know, a band like Richie, they have expenses. Like when Richie Ramon goes on tour, he, he says, I have this expense, this expense, this expense. Every time we go on tour, it's always the same. I need to make sure that those are covered. And I need to make sure we're making some profit on top. So like, obviously, because this is our job. Yep. So then you have to kind of negotiate back and forth with the clubs. Hey, you know, they need this much. And you have to work out the ticket price. You have to work out, you know, how many other bands are going to be on the show. If the, if the tour is going to have a support band on the tour, because sometimes there's bands that they want to bring, you know, uh, all, all the details that, that, that all change how much money you can ask for. Right. So like, you also have to look at what venues, like you said, capacity, what venues are the right size for this show? Yeah, I can't bring the Ataris to, you know, the uh, 2000 capacity room because it'll look silly. You guys will have 300 people there and you'll look like no one's there. Right. The venue will lose a ton of money because it costs way more money to open up the doors to a room that holds 2000 people versus a room that holds 400 people. Right. So all of this has to be taken into account. And you know, you're going to talk to the each place and then you're going to find the people that are willing to pay the money or have the deal that makes enough sense to the band that you're willing to look and take them there. And then you're going to give them the option. So I'll go, all right, Chris or Joe or Richie or whoever, here's the four places in Chicago that are available, the dates we need that, and here's what they're offering. And you give them all the information. Here's like, it's a 21 and up show, or it's an 18 plus show, or you know, that they want to do the times at, you know, doors at this time. Here's the ticket price. Here's what they're going to give you guys as far as like, you know, dinner or some mm-hmm. drinks or whatever. Here's all the information. And uh, now, which one do you want to take? Yep. And then it's going to, and then the band will get back to me. Oh, we like the, And then sometimes like different bands have different criteria. Like Chris, for instance, is very specific on sound. Mm-hmm. He, he, you know, his, if we're choosing between two or three venues, Sometimes you'll take less money because the sound at this place is so much better. And it's really important to me that our band sounds good when we play for our fans. Right. It's right. a very legitimate, you know, thing you want to take into Absolutely. account. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, there's so many of these like little minute details that all change. And, and now remember, we're just talking about Chicago. Right. <laughs> right. Like, we're only talking about one city on one day. We still have 44 more times we have to do this. Right. And w- after you've done all, and remember, sometimes you'll reach out to the club in Des Moines, Iowa. Now, Des Moines doesn't have as many clubs as Chicago. Des Moines maybe has three clubs that are the size that we need that'll pay the money that we want. Yep. And maybe they're not available any of the dates that we wanted. What do we do now? Right. So now we have to like look at, well, maybe we have to do a little reroute. Maybe we have to choose a different city. You, know, you have to go back to the drawing board. It's always like, it's an evolving uh list of stuff to do. Yeah. And that's just like, again, that's the first, really the first step to it all is, yeah, you get all of this in order. You start to go down the line and start to confirm the shows with the people. And then you have to start making sure like that everything is contracted. That's like usually the next step. So after all the deals are in place and all of the, the whole tour routes done, 
Now we go, all right, well, we have to make sure all the things we discussed are on a contract yep. so that, you know, the band doesn't get screwed over because it happens. Yep. I mean, I'm sure you've been on tour where your band's gotten screwed over. You didn't get paid. Or, oh, yeah. You know, you, you didn't get paid what you're supposed to or they didn't give you got the, the time that you put you on stage was wrong. or So all that stuff has to get laid out in a contract, which I'm, I make. Like I have, a, I have a boilerplate contract that I, I made up with a, a lawyer a long time ago that I use for everybody. Yep. And then I have to fill in all that information for all 44 shows. And then I have to send those contracts to the promoters and the venues. And I have to get them to send those back to me signed. And uh, usually it comes with a deposit. Like usually you want to have like, you know, some sort of like guarantee. Good faith. For the band. Yeah. Yeah. Good yeah. faith. Like if you're getting a thousand bucks, like we're going to send you guys 200 bucks, like to show you that we're serious about this show. Yep. We're putting up, we're putting some money where our mouth is. And, you know, at worst case scenario, if we screw you over, at least you have that $200 right. to like go put to the gas tank right. or whatever. <laughs> because it happens, you know, I, oh, I've yeah. had plenty of times where, all right, tomorrow's show, the promoter just canceled the show. Right. And they're not returning our calls. And like, what do you do? And you got to go, all right, I guess we're driving to the next town. Right. And, you know, at least, we, at least they gave us a hundred bucks to, Feed, you know, so everyone can eat today and everyone can, you know, whatever. So then after you do all that, contracts and deposits, and I promise you that I would say 50 to 40% of promoters are exceptionally slow at doing that part part of the process, <laughs> uh, where you have to constantly hound them every week, like, hey, please send this back, please send this back. Right. On top of that, then you have to set up an announce date and an on-sale date for the show, because you want to usually announce a tour all at one time. Yep. You don't want to keep and oh here's our show in Chicago and then a week later like here's our show in Detroit like you want to do it all at one time yep and you have to make the artwork for the poster you have to you know make sure they're using the right photo on their website using the right logo on their website and all the information they're putting out there is right you have to make sure that they're not adding extra local bands oh yeah while you're not while you're not looking cuz promoters love you know they love to do that and you know, make sure the ticket price was the right ticket price and the ticket link is working. And you, you kind of constantly have to be vigilant and stay on top of the people. Some of the people, you not as much. Like if you're working with a show with Live Nation or AEG or one of the bigger ones, they're usually just, they're very by the book. Yep. No, most of the time. And again, that, there's always exceptions to the rule. It's usually the smaller promoters, the younger guys that are getting their feet wet and they don't exactly understand that when we say only two other bands are allowed to play the show, that we really mean only two other bands can play the show. Sure. Absolutely. So, and, and they get worried about, you know, well, what if not enough people come? Maybe if I add another band, they'll bring 20 more people and then I won't lose money. So, you know, you got to kind of not fight with them. We got to, you know, reassure them and, and you got to really always be on top of people. And, you know, so now that you got your poster and now that everything's on sale, and now that the contract's back and it's signed, now you got to make sure that the advertising is being done after everything's announced. It's not my job to advertise, but I have to make sure, A, that the band is advertising yep. and promoting, and then B, that the promoter and the venue are advertising correctly. Because a lot of times, you know, they'll come to you and say, hey, you know, this show's not selling a lot of tickets. You know, we're getting worried. You need to go, well, what? what have you guys been doing on the advertising side of things? Sure. And then they go, well, we made a Facebook post. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, well, hey, buddy, like there's also 40 million other people making Facebook right, posts today. Right. 
Like you have to do more than that. You have to put some money into it. You got to run a, a radio ad or you got to boost the Facebook post. You got to do Instagram. You got to yep. go to the, do flyers. You got to go to the record store and put up a, yep. a poster. You know, you got to do lots of different stuff. And you got to stay on top of that guy for all that stuff too. And again, I'm reiterating, this is not just for Chicago. This is 44 more times or however many more times, you know, you got to do this every place. And now let's pretend, okay, it's done for every place. I'm not just doing this for the Ataris. I'm also doing this for the queers and the and Bigwig mm-hmm. and Richie. And sometimes tours overlap. Right. And sometimes, you know, we're all going, you know, the queers and the Ataris are on tour together. So now I'm doing all of this for 80 or 90 shows. You know what I'm saying? Right. So. It's very time consuming and very overwhelming. I was just going to ask, once the show is, you know, all booked, the contracts are signed and everything, how involved or available do you need to be as a booking agent on the day of show? Oh, you have to, you have to have your phone in your pocket and you have to have your laptop with you. Yeah. Because so many times you get a phone call from your band. Like the number one goal for me is to make sure that the bands I work for are happy and that the show is easy. So when you show up, Everything is the way it was supposed to be. And if there's something wrong that can't be handled with a, a, a polite conversation with the promoter, with the band, then it's my job to have to step in. Yep. So let's say, for instance, we said, all right, the Ataris were supposed to be on at 9.30 and there's supposed to be two opening bands and the tickets are supposed to be $15. And you guys show up and they're charging $20 for tickets and there's four other local bands. And, and, you, and they're like, all right, you guys are on at 11 o'clock. There's no nice conversation that you guys can have with a guy to fix that. Right. Like there's too much wrong yeah. and you're going to have to call me and then I'm going to have to be an, a prick. Yeah. It's it, it, what I've always taught, uh, told people who want to become booking agents is the main thing is it's your job to be the asshole. Sure. You have to, the band always has to look good to everybody, right? To the promoter, to the fans, to everyone. So you have to be the asshole. So when the promoter goes, you know, your booking agent was screaming at me. I always tell, I always tell Chris or Joe, like, just tell him, be like, yeah, that guy's an asshole. Sometimes. <laughs> like, just let me be the prick because you have to come out shining. Right. And I, I, you know, I'm, I'm generally very easy to work with and very nice. And I've, I've rarely had to yell at people or, you know, but you, you need, you need your laptop and your phone handy because the conversations you had via email, it's all documented. Yep. So you could send it to them. And be like, look, this is what you agree to. It's in writing. Yeah. Like fix fix it right now. Yeah. And then what are they what are they supposed to say to that? You know what I mean? Like for sure. You're right. I I, I here's my own words saying I agree to that. So you have to be very available the night of shows. It's it's it becomes almost half the job sometimes, depending on how much the problem is. I can imagine. Yeah. Well, and I know you get this question a lot. Um, I know that I do, and we've kind of discussed it a little bit. Uh, so maybe you can shine a little bit more light on it. Who is typically booking the local slots for a tour? And, um, you know, for somebody that's listening that's maybe in a local band that's trying to hop on shows or something, what's the best way for those bands to get on a show coming through their town? I'll tell you the worst way. Okay. Is the, worst, the worst way is to email the band because they're getting tons of emails from fans, from other bands, listen to my song. Like They just get so much. Plus, they're doing their own business. And it's not that they don't care about your band. It's just they, there's too many. Like if, I'm, if you're doing a 50-date tour, you can't have 500 bands emailing you guys being like, can we open this show? Because you don't know where you're going to be when half the time. Right. Like, like Unless you have to check your own website sometimes to know what day you're going to be in what town. Oh, yeah. And 
uh, I, I'm the guy who knows like, all right, you got, I'll, I'll know your schedule better than you do 90% of the time. Yep. And the, the person honestly to reach out to, if you're a local band and you want to open for a band you like is the venue itself uh, and is the promoter specifically the promoter, because they're the one who is in charge of all that stuff. Uh, when local bands are allowed yep. now, typically if it's a bigger band, let's say newfound glory is going on tour and they say, Hey, we're letting one local band open every show on our tour. Uh, they'll say to the promoter, you bring us a list of bands and we'll pick our favorite from that list. So in that event, it's your, it's your best interest to reach out to that promoter or to that venue. And you should know that when it's a big show like that, they need a band who has proven that they work hard, that they're a good band, and that they will bring people. Because yeah. that's all that matters. You have to remember that it's a business. Sure. It's not, it's not a charity service, especially the big clubs. Like people, I always see, you know, I grew up in the punk rock community. I get it. I used to be that kid. But you can't be like, they don't care about the scene. They don't care about like, no, they don't. Like they're doing this because this is what they do for a living. And they need to make sure that every time they do it, they're making a profit so they continue doing it. And it's for your benefit because it, it gives you place to see shows. It gives you shows to see. And it gives you those random opportunities to open for a band you might love. Right. So you have to kind of go in and know, hey, our band has five fans. You're not going to open up for Newfound Glory. They're, they don't want you because you don't add anything. And again, those tours rarely have local bands. It's it's hard. It's hard because they want to tour with other bands who are up and coming that they want to like help promote, or their uh, label wants to promote, or yeah. that their booking agent wants to promote. Yep. It's not always up to the band either. Right. So, yeah, you, you just have to be realistic and think of it from not your own perspective. That's like the most important thing. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think getting in, I mean, obviously the most important thing is to make sure that you're you're solid and that if you're trying to pitch yourself to be on a show that it makes sense. Um but then also oh, but then also it sounds like having you know, developing relationships and networking with people in the area helps. Um especially For sure. with the, especially with those that are making the decisions or at least those that are um, presenting the options to those who are making the decisions. Like you just said, you know, the venue owners that are sending lists to the bands or to the booking agents. Um, cause yeah, if you're in any given city, there's, you know, thousands upon thousands of bands and all of them would love to be on a, a major tour coming through their city. But, um, a lot of times if it comes down to two bands at the same caliber that could bring in the same type of crowd, if one band has a better reputation or is maybe more closely knit with the people at that venue or something like that, they might have a little bit of an edge in getting that gig. Or, or the band themselves. That That's when it comes in handy. Like if you are an established band in your area and the club already knows you and they know you could bring people and you know the band, yeah. or even a, even a little bit, right? that's a big thing. And again, like unfortunately, a lot of the music industry and a lot of other industries just, who do you know? Who are you friends with? Yeah, but that comes down to a lot of the time impressing people and being good at what you do. And if 
if you guys play a show at a small club in New Jersey and it holds 300 people and this local band plays and they, they kick ass and they have 200 people singing along and, and watching them play, you guys will remember that band next For time. For sure. Yeah. And you'll be like, you'll be like, you know, remember that band from last time? Like we want them again. They were awesome. They're really cool dudes. And that's how you forge those kind of relationships. I mean, that's literally how I met Chris is split 50 opening for the Ataris. We did an awesome job. We drew a ton of people and he remembered us. And he's like, your songs were good. You guys were good. He's like, next time we come through, I want to make sure that you guys play with us again. For sure. A little bit of a random question. Have you ever booked a show, had an artist show up to play and the venue just straight up like no longer existed? <laughs> yeah. I have. Yeah, that's happened to me in in one of my first bands. Uh, we just did like this 10-day tour and literally like three of the shows on that 10-day tour when we showed up just weren't there anymore. Yeah, so it happens much more often on a smaller scale. For sure. It it, it very rarely happens now for me. Uh, but A, because I've gotten much better at my job that I'm much more uh, vigilant on making sure that there's communication nonstop between me and the promoters. Uh, but when you're first starting out, you don't think about that. You, you know, when you first start booking tours, you're like, all right, that show's booked. It's done. It's in the books, like onto the next one. Yep. And then you don't even give it thought anymore. Yep. And then the day of the show comes, the band shows up to the club. You're like, they're not even here. There's no poster. <laughs> there's no posters for the show. Like what's, what's going on? And you're like, uh, and then you'll call them be like, oh yeah. Like my mom, you know, she's sick. And, and yep. then, you know, it's always like some story and it's like, shit, like this is actually my fault because I, we should have known in advance yeah. that, that this was going to happen. And that, that's something you learn the hard way usually. Yep, 100%. Uh, I'm always curious to hear about how and when people are the most creative or productive. Are you somebody who is most productive? Like, do you get up bright and early or are you sitting up all <laughs> night as a night owl? Or is the nature of your job just that you have to always be available? What What is it for you? So. For starters, uh, I always have to be available and my phone is always on me, like 24-7. Yeah. Uh, however, uh, I am not a morning person. Okay. <laughs> uh, and a lot of it had to do with working with a lot of promoters in California. Okay. Uh, which is three hours behind me. Sure. And I'd be, you know, if I was up at nine o'clock in the morning and I'm booking the California dates in, in Arizona, it's like, they're not coming into the office until three o'clock my time or two o'clock my time. Right. So it's yeah. like, I have nothing to do. I'm just right. going to sit here and like, you know what I mean? So I started to adjust my schedule to be a little more in between the two. And it, it turned into me just being up super late at night, but I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like that. Normally I, I like nighttime and I hate the morning. I love like being up at like two o'clock in the morning, like on my laptop or watching TV and just like hanging out, talking to whoever's up. Like, well, in your defense too, though, just going back to what you said a second ago, I mean, two o'clock AM, your time is still only 11 PM on the West coast. So if you have shows that you've booked that are happening in LA, um, and you want to be available until that show is done, I mean, you still have to be up into almost until the sun comes up. I've gotten, I've gotten calls at three or four o'clock in the morning when the show is loading out and they're like, Oh, they didn't pay us the full amount. And it's like, it's three o'clock in the morning for me, but I have to be like, all right, you know, and, and act like it's like I'm awake and I'm, you know, alert. So, and, and a part of it also is from being in a band myself and touring and always being up super late and always waking up, super, you know, super late. So it's just kind of a lifestyle that adap I've adapted to. And now it's just part of, yeah, you know, it's just part of what I do now. Yeah. Makes total sense. What advice would you have for somebody that 
who might be interested in working as a booking agent? I know that you mentioned that you kind of cracked into it. It almost sounded like it fell into your lap by accident, but I mean, you started working for free at the beginning and you were doing as much networking as possible, but should somebody look into getting some agency experience? Should they look into getting involved with a local venue? What steps would you recommend? I would certainly suggest trying to work uh, at a venue first and understanding that side of the music industry uh, because it gives you the knowledge of what you should be looking for when you are an agent. Sure. Because when you're working at a club, they go, all right, they ask for this, they ask for that. We have to get this contract back. They want to make sure we're doing like, so you can kind of learn from experience like, oh, these are the things that a booking agent is usually asking for. I'm going to make a note of that. So that when I start to book my bands, I'm going to start asking for those things too. Sure. And uh, I would certainly say getting experience, either running your own shows and booking other bands on those shows yep. or working for a venue is a great way as like a stepping stone to being an agent. Because if you just want to start by booking tours, I think that you just are not going to really understand enough of how the industry works. And like I said, being being on both sides of it, you get a, a, a better em- empathy and better understanding of each side of the coin so that you're making reasonable requests and you're making, you know, and you know what's realistic, what's not realistic, all that kind of stuff. So I think that's step one. I think step two would be to start small and it would be to start with area bands that you think are good. Uh, I, would, I would use le- re- legitimate judgment, you know, you have to really listen and be like, this band is good. I'm not, I'm not going to put my name on something that, you know, it's a shitty band. Like it's cool. It's cool to support your friend's bands when they're not, when they're not good. And it's okay. It's like, you know, they got to get good, you know, practice and become better, but you don't want to be putting your stamp on something that people listen to or who are, aren't friends with them and be like, ah, we don't want to book that band. Like they suck. Right. So I think you want to find some cool area bands and like pick one and be like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm starting my own booking agency or whatever. Like, can I book some area shows for you and, and get some practice that way? Because it's like a low risk, yep. low reward, but it, it's it's how you have to learn. So you recommend kind of sticking local and stuff first, not necessarily booking out these. At, at, at first, I mean, you, you got to learn. You got to learn how it all works. Uh, I think stuff like going to school, like that doesn't help. It really doesn't. Like right. going to go music business and like that stuff, you're not going to learn you'll learn 10% of what you need to know versus actually doing it. Sure. And uh, I mean, another suggestion is working at an intern uh, as an intern at like another, as a booking agency, a smaller agency, even a bigger one. Sure. uh, And just following people around to do their job. Sure. Uh, I've I've definitely toyed with the idea of having an intern before. So, I mean, it's like, you know, it's not an unrealistic thing that you can acquire as long as you are responsible and you're serious about it. Absolutely. Well, that kind of segues into an audience question that I got from my friend Ryan Patrick on Twitter. Um, It's a similar question, but a little bit different on the other side. Uh, What tips do you have for a newer band that might be looking to book a DIY tour? Okay. uh, The number one tip for that is do not send emails to the promoters or clubs that are a a full-blown autobiography and a story and 10 million sentences and a hundred links. They don't care. They don't care about who you are. Like I, I I know people always say I I get kind of harsh with this kind of, but (laughs) I I don't mean it in a negative way. I mean it in a constructive way where it's, it doesn't, if you're from New York 
and you want to go play and do a, a Midwest tour, first of all, you have to really think to yourself, like, why are we doing this? Yeah. Like, why do we want to go to Chicago and Detroit and Ohio? Is it because we have fans there? Is it because we plan on playing there every month? Or is it just like, this is an ego boost, like just to say we went on tour? Right. Yeah, I had that I had that issue with the first band that I was telling you about where that tour basically fell apart is we were from Minneapolis and the tour that we booked was like uh Florida, the Carolinas and um I think it even went up the coast a bit and you know there's like 12 hours of driving between shows and yep. um it really was like you just said an ego boost that we just wanted to be able to say that we were on tour, we had laminates pressed and everything and <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. You want to you want to post a poster on your Facebook page and you want to be like, check us out at all these dates. And it's like your one friend in each town is going to come hang out. Right. And, and that's it's, great. Sti- it's still cool. Like it, I don't want to, I don't want to say that people shouldn't like have fun with their band and like explore touring and stuff like that. But if you want to not go broke doing it, and if you want to try to build something a little bit more sustainable, I mean, learning from my mistake at that, that would be my own personal yeah, uh, advice, I guess. Yeah, I think the in my experience, the number one thing that really breaks up bands is actually finances. It's like marriage. Sure. Uh, it, it's not the cause always, but it's like the underlying cause. Sure. If you were, if you're not broke and you can afford the van payment and you can afford to travel in a van and get hotel rooms, you're less likely to fight. You're less likely to you know get sick of each other. And doing those kind of tours. It does two things. If you do it smart, it like strengthens the bond of the band members. It's like right. you get these cool war stories where you're like, yeah, we we slept on a park bench and but we played this awesome show and blah blah blah. But the the other thing that happens sometimes is you we went broke and we fought and that was it. Right. And you have to make sure, especially nowadays, because I think the DIY tour is unfortunately almost an antiquated idea. Uh in, in the in the mid '90s, punk rock bands went on DIY tours because there was no Facebook or MySpace or Spotify or iTunes. The only way to get people in, to know about your band was to physically put a tape or a CD in their hand yep. and say, "Remember us next time we come back. We're from New York. We'll be back in two months." Yep. You don't need that anymore. You don't. Right. Bands that go on tour are going on tour because their audience and their fans want to see them play live. They're right. excited about it. And no one is excited to see your band. They don't know who you are and they don't frankly care unless, you know, you're opening for a bigger band or they've heard your band online and they've heard your music on social media or they've heard your music on, again, streaming services, YouTube. That's just the way the world is now. Sure. So going on tour just to go on tour, of course, do it. It's fun, but just be smart about it and and ask yourself, legitimately, number one, why are we going on this tour? And be honest with yourself. Because again, if you could recognize you're just doing it for the ego boost, then do it. But then know that that's why you're out there. And know that the reality of that is that you're probably going to be playing for no one. That you're going to... More people will see that you're going on tour than the people who actually see you on the tour. Sure. (laughs) Yeah, So that makes sense. Just, uh, but if you're going to do that, let's say, let's say we got 20 fans in Chicago and we're from New York and we think it's really important to see us live, then my suggestion would be to reach out to promoters, 
different promoters and the small ones. Don't don't email the big club. They don't want to even talk to you. Mm-hmm. You gotta you gotta reach out to like the cafe and like the hundred person capacity DIY club that is a skate park on the weekends. Sure. You gotta reach out and reach out to other bands from that area and make friends with those bands and be like, hey, we're so and so from New York. We got like a bunch of friends and fans who want to see us in Chicago. Like, would you guys be interested in, in playing together? Do you have a show we could maybe we could trade shows? That's how we used to do it back when I was starting. Was yep. you'd reach out to a band in New Jersey and be like, hey, we're from PA. But if you guys let us help us get on a show with you guys in New Jersey, we'll do the same thing for you in New York in Pennsylvania. Right. And that's how you forge a lot of those bonds with other bands too. And it helps. Like it, I, I and there's always that like, you know, the touring band reaches out to all these local bands, like, would you like to open for our band and come play? Like, like get the hell out of here. Like they don't care who you are. They never heard of you. Uh, don't try and organize your own shows in their town and then ask them to play, open your show. Like right. that's like insulting. Right. So reach out to bands and, and, and come with that humble approach of like, Hey, we're just starting out and we're, you know, we have a couple friends and fans out there who want to see us. Like, what do you think about swapping shows or like, Maybe like we'll we'll promote your band this week on our Facebook page if you let us open this sh- your your firehall show or sure. whatever. And that's my best best advice. And then the second thing would be if you are having trouble finding those kind of bands, reach out to that the promoters. Like look look for bands in Chicago, see where they're playing yep. and who they're playing for, and then reach out to those people. Yeah, call them, email them, be like, hey, we're so and so, we're looking to come on tour. Do you have a show we can open? We'll play for free. Yeah. Like just let us, you know, let us get 20 minutes at the beginning of the show. Like we'll be in and out. You know, we could even try and organize sharing gear. Like make yourself as little of a burden as possible. Yeah. And and those promoters will be more open to throwing you a bone. Yeah. Because if it's if it's nothing to them, then they'll they're more likely to be like, eh, whatever, sure. Like you guys can open for you could play this show that it was gonna be crap anyway. Like, right. You know, don't ask to open for newfound glory. Be like, hey, I saw X XYZ local band is playing. Would you mind if we came and played 20 minutes at opening the show? We'll be in and out. We'll play at doors. We don't care. Sure. So a lot of the times a pro will just be like, eh, okay, sure. Sure. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't cost him. It's not costing him a lot of money to do this show. Like what's it going to cost him for 20 extra minutes? Do you think geography is a big thing to take into account too? If for a newer band looking That's to- one of the biggest things. I think it's, I think location is the biggest thing. Be realistic with, where are we going to be able to continuously go? Right. I'm from Pennsylvania. What's the point of me driving out to California to play a bunch of local shows? Like I'm mm-hmm. not going to be back out there yep. for who knows how long. Right. But if I'm from Pennsylvania and we want to play in Ohio and Tennessee and uh, Illinois, yeah, that's like, you know, a 12 hour drive. We can maybe do that three or three times a year. And right. then it's more likely that we'll keep hitting that up. But I always tell local bands in general, don't go on tour. Sure. Like, I think what you should do is if you're from New York, you should play in New York. You should play in New Jersey. You should play in Connecticut. You should play in Pennsylvania. And that's it. You should set up a radius where you go, we don't drive more than three or four hours to play shows. Yeah. And you just hammer the hell out of that area over the next couple of years. Own your craft. Get better at songwriting. Get better at playing those songs so that when you do go out and you do go far and you, and you invest more, you're, you're promoting a good product. You're not, you're not showing people, 
know, because if you just start your band and then you go out somewhere and and you get to play for 50 people and they all see you and you suck and your songs aren't good, the next time you come back, they're like, oh, that was that shitty band. Even if you got better, they're going to remember you as that shitty band. Right. So your first impression is really important. So hone your skills in your home area. That's why like a lot of bands aren't at first as popular in their home areas as they are elsewhere. It's like a not, it's a, it's not an uncommon phenomenon. My, my brother plays in the band Bowling for Soup and uh, the singer Jarrett was telling me, yeah, we're from Dallas area of Texas, but the actual town we're from, people don't even care about our band. They don't like us. Like they remember us. They remember us when we were the crappy band playing at the bar for 10 people. So they don't take us seriously, even though we have like a platinum album. Right. So keep that in mind when you're building your band, you know, don't bring an inferior product and invest all this time in travel and then give that bad impression to people. You want to really make sure you're showing them a good thing. Absolutely. Cool. Well, yeah, I, I, I agree with just about everything you said there. I think that's totally spot on. Uh, let's jump into the state of the music industry. Uh, the music industry is obviously an ever-changing industry, uh, and it's been hit pretty hard with the roadblock of COVID right now, just like a lot of other industries. I know that we're not uh, special in that sort of sense, but sure. uh, I'm I'm curious where you see things trending in both the short and long term. Um, I guess my first question would be, when do you personally anticipate live events returning? Well, for starters, I want to say that I, I kind of disagree with your statement that we're not uh, exclusively affected differently because I think we are. I think that specifically the live music industry is one of the greatest affected because okay. there sure. are there are ways around uh, every almost every other industry uh, to continue to work your business. Okay, sure. Uh, yep. And I don't think that's possible with live music. Sure. Like the expenses that go into a single concert are such thin margins that you can't do half capacity concerts. Right. You just can't do them unless the bands are playing for the door, which most bands can't doubling afford tickets, to do. Doubling ticket prices. Or, you, or you're doubling yeah. the ticket price. Right. And that's that That becomes a burden on, on people because they don't have money because mm-hmm. they've been out of work. So it's right. like, we're in, a, we're in a, a specifically unique position, not solely, but out of a lot of the other places, like even sports, they can do, uh, you know, they can do sporting events without an, a crowd or d- diminished crowds because they have these big sponsors. They have, sure. yep. they have television on their side. If you're talking about the Ataris going on tour, you guys can't play in a club that holds 200 people and only only play for 50 people. Right. They can't afford to pay you guys. Right. They can't afford to pay for the security. They can't afford to pay for the sound guy. They can't afford to pay their bills to open the door. Right. So uh, as far as your initial question, when do I see shows coming back? I honestly don't know. And I hate to be yeah. the person who's supposed to be one of the people who knows, but that's the biggest problem is I don't know. And, right. and we're all in a guessing game, even agents and promoters and venues, we're all talking on email and phone. And we're like, so what do you think? Everyone's like, I don't know. What do you think? And like, right. I have no idea. It's specifically hard for me because a club has to only worry about their town and what the rules are there and what the people who live in that town are okay with. When we're trying to book a tour, we have to take into account 30 cities. Right. And each city is going to have a different rule and a different day of opening 
So it's like the Ataris can't go play one show in Chicago. You guys are from all over the country. It's that you can't afford it. Yep. The queers are from Atlanta. They can't play one show in California. You have to play a lot of shows and you have to make it cost effective, which means you have to play across on the travel. And there's too many factors going into it. So like I had a tour book for Richie Ramon and one of the dates was in New York City. One of the dates is in uh, really uh, in New Jersey. And those two are like, no, we're not doing shows for a long time. But then some of the shows were in rural Pennsylvania and they're like, we're ready right now. Right. That's like, well, he can't come play just that one show. He needs to play all of them. So we need to wait until the lowest common denominating uh, market is available yep. to do a show, which right. means we have to wait till New York is ready. Or if we're trying to do an LA date, but we, we also want to do Arizona and, L- and Vegas, we have to wait till LA is ready. It doesn't matter if, if Vegas and, and Arizona are ready. Right. Sure. Uh, you, so you see these posts online where it's like, Concerts will not resume until late 2021. They're talking about Garth Brooks. They're not sure. talking about. They're not talking about you know <laughs> yeah. the small clubs where you get a hundred people, right? Because even every day is different now. Yep. Every day they go, all right, restrictions lifted. Now we can have 50 people. Now we can have a hundred people. Oh, now they're saying you know just wear your face mask and you'll be fine. Oh, now they're saying, oh, asymptomatic people can't get you sick like we thought. And now they're you know it's like. Every day, it's like a new piece of information gets thrown out and everyone's trying to recompensate and recalibrate their plans based on this. Sure. There's a lot of bands who originally were rescheduling their tours for June. Right. Yep. And look what happened. Yep. So all that people can really do right now is just go, well, how far ahead do we want to go? And we go, all right, let's try October. Yeah. And once, once, uh, once August rolls around, we'll be able to guess. Oh, I guess October was too soon. I guess we're going to have to push it back again. Right. And the nice thing has been that all the promoters and the agents and the and mostly the bands too have been very understanding about that. They kind of have and, to be. <laughs> yeah. And, and so when I call a club and go, hey, we have to reschedule again. I'm sorry. And they're like, yeah, I agree. You know, we have to. Yeah. And, and we kind of all work together to try and figure it out. The thing that's going to be crazy is that in 2021, it is going to be insane. Yeah. There is going to be so many tours. Yep. So many movies, yep. so many sporting events. It's going to be an entertainment overload. Yep. I and agree. I think everyone needs to be prepared for that. Yep. Next year also happens to be the Atari's 25th anniversary. So wow, that's like a that. whole, you know, yeah. So, I mean, you know, you guys will be doing something. Yeah. I, I promise you that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> not letting that one go. So, well, let's talk about your current projects. Um, I know that, uh, Aside from booking, I know we talked about you are in a band called Don't Panic. I know you play, yeah. play a lot of online poker. Um, <laughs> what? Uh, <laughs> let's let's stick with the Don't Panic stuff, though. What are you doing with that? Uh, I know you put out some music recently. What's happening with all that? Uh, yeah, so uh, I, in 2008 or nine, I started a band called Don't Panic, which was, was like basically just like music I like genre. So it's like, you know, yep. Foo Fighters mixed with like Melancholin mixed with, you know, punk rock mans and you know yep uh and we played in the band for about two years we released an ep through uh, a small record label that was like warner distro so it's kind of cool we went on tour with the ataris and we did some stuff like that uh and then right at that time i started this company and when we got home from our, our really long tour we all kind of went all right well, let's all focus on making money again so that we can afford to do this and in during that time frame it just kind of extended itself to that we wound up not playing at all for seven or eight years. We just, 
everyone got engrossed in their own lives. I, I got busy with this booking company. Our bass player, Keith, uh, started uh, running his own like food vendoring cart that he would do it like on the summer. Our, our drummer started working at a casino and our guitar player started uh, working at a recording studio. So we kind of, we're, we're on like a, just a never ending hiatus. And I found myself actually being less and less musically involved at all. I, I'd stopped playing my guitar for almost two years. Uh, it wasn't intentional. It was just something I forgot to do, which sounds insane. Right. But it, I got just so involved with life. Yep. And the music is a huge part of my life. And I, I, it was like a Peter Pan kind of thing, like in that movie Hook, where he like, he, he left and then he forgot he was Peter Pan. Right. Yep. yep. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my brother last summer invited me to come on tour with Bowling for Soup just to hang out, literally just to come and drink beer. And I was like, yeah, that sounds like a great job. Yep. So <laughs> I, uh, I flew down to Florida and I got in the bus with them and I t- went on tour with them for two weeks. And the second I got on that tour, I was like, holy shit. What have I been doing the last five or six years? Right. Why am I not make, Why am I not writing music? Yep. Why am I not touring? And I, uh, as soon as I got home, I called all the guys in my band. I was like, I'm starting this band back up. We're gonna, we're gonna do it again. Like, but it's just because we love it. Yeah. That's our only goal. It's just to make music we love. Yep. And, uh, yeah, we we I started writing new songs, and we played some shows last fall, and. Uh, then we decided, I know we're going to record an album. So we went to the, music, the recording studio in, in November and we recorded 11 songs. Yep. And uh, Jarrett from Bowling for Soup really likes them. He like He's genuinely a fan. And he said, like, I like your band a lot and I want to like pseudo manage you guys. Like basically like take you under my wing and direct you on yep. c- career choices and help you with stuff. So I was like, yes, please. Like, yes. That sounds great. <laughs> so... Uh, he, his first order of business for me was don't release an album, release singles and release a, a new song every four to six weeks. Yep. And because people don't really buy albums, you want to keep their attention. So keep putting out material, just keep putting out, keep putting it out. Yep. So that's what we did. So on February 7th, we released our first new song that we've released in the last nine years. Yep. And we did a lyric video for it. Yeah, that was killer. And, I loved it. Oh, thank you. Uh, and then in March, we released our second song, which we did a, a full music video for. And that one was like our, what we were told was like our best of the new song or yep. the most catchy or whatever. Yep. And the music video was a, a fucking blast. Dude, like, yeah. I, I, it looked fun. Dude, I, I've had so much fun doing music in my whole life with making that music video. I mean, you know, I, for if anyone who has or has not seen it, it's like, you know, we were in costumes the whole time. Yep. Like, I got the idea from the music video from Learn to Fly. I was going to ask if you did. Yep. For yeah, sure. Because like that whole video is them as every character. Yep. And I was like, that is so funny and so fun. Yep. I love seeing them in the fat suits and yep. dressed as the, you know, so I was like, let's just do that. Let's come up with a fun. And so it's based off the movie Back to the Future uh, where Marty in the beginning of the movie is doing like the talent show auditions and they tell him it's too loud and, you know, how he's never going to be a, a musician because he's like he's just you know making noise. Yep. So that was like the concept was like all right, we're auditioning for a talent show, but let's also all be the acts in the talent show. Let's be the judges. So that was a, that was a blast, and, and it got a huge response. People really dug it, and I was like really happy. And then we released another new song uh, on May first. Um, again, we did another lyric video for that one, 
And we have a new song coming out. Uh, right now, it's June 9th. Uh, so uh, the new song is coming out on June 11th. Okay. Or 12th. And we're doing, we have a new song coming out every single, almost every month until November. That's sweet. And then, yeah. And then uh, we're going to go uh, record some cover songs for fun yep. and release those. Yeah, cool. So each member of the band has picked a cover song uh, that we're going to track. Yep. And we're going to do, and we're going to re- release those every month. Oh, that's so much fun. Yeah. And the cover song, the rule was make it a song that represents you as a person and like your, and your musical tastes yep. and like what you came from. So like that's rad. our guitar player, like our guitar player picked a Metallica song. So we're going to try and cover a Metallica song. Right. right? Uh, I, I'm doing, I picked ELO. I love Electric Life Orchestra. So yep. we're doing an ELO song. Oh, uh, our drummer, our drummer picked Billy Joel. Yep. So we're going to do like a bunch of cool, different kind of stuff. You yep. know? Uh, originally we had a lot of plans this year, you know, uh, Chris, I talked to Chris about, Hey, when you're in the Northeast, like we'd love to play with you guys. And you guys were supposed to play in the Northeast in July. Yep. And we were supposed to play a bunch of shows with you guys. Cause you were, you know, you had that big festival of Blink-182. So we were going to like kind of yep. play a bunch of the shows around that. Yep. And of course that got canceled and we had a bunch of our own shows booked. And, uh, I had Jarrett, uh, had talked about taking us on some dates with them. Yep. And it's like, all that's gone. Yeah. <laughs> so basically what we've been doing is uh, basically what everybody's doing, like acoustic online shows, yep. streaming. Uh, we, we do a fun thing where we've been doing once a month, we've been getting together and doing Jeopardy. Okay. My cousin, my cousin Kevin runs a trivia show in Arizona and he does, he, so he's doing it for us. He's the host and he hosts Jeopardy for us. And we, uh, he has a Jeopardy board and we, you know, we play the game and just laugh and, you know, have some beers and, yeah. and people, and it's just something fun, you know, content, yep. stuff to watch, yep. stuff to have a good time with and, you know, a way to hang out with people you can't hang out with. And, uh, That's and rad. like in a couple, couple days we're doing, uh, which this will have already passed, but you could still watch it on our Facebook page. We're doing like a full live band concert from the recording studio. Rad. Yeah. And the, the people who did our music video, are coming to film it. Okay. And then the, we're, we're, we're playing into the recording studio stuff. So into their, yep. uh, Triton, whatever soundboard they got, yep. some million insane dollar soundboard. Yep. <laughs> and you know, and it's, so it's going to sound good and it's going to be like, basically like a live recording yep. that's getting streamed to our Facebook page. That's and sick. it's a, yeah, it's like a, it's going to be a concert and we're doing it to benefit music cares, which helps everybody. Uh, with the you know making money, who is in the music industry, who is displaced right now. Yep. So that was a cool cause, and uh, I got some really cool people like doing little like guest guest videos popping in. Chris is doing one. Yep. Uh, AJ Popoff from Lit is doing one, and uh, Jarrett from Bowling for Soup. So we got like a bunch of cool people, and I'm really excited about it. Right. So I'll be sure to plug that. Yeah, I'll plug it in the show notes. So um, yeah, by the time this is live uh by the time this podcast episode's live yeah that'll have passed but it should still be available on your facebook page and i'll make it, sure yeah 100 will be yeah. i'll make sure to grab that link and all your other links uh to your don't panic stuff so that everybody can find you um, i just want to do a few rapid fire questions here before i let you go these are okay totally just right off the top of your head um okay. don't give it too much thought um what content are you currently consuming, whether it be podcasts or Netflix binging, music? What are you okay. really into right now? So right now, it's, it's actually all three. And I could tell you what each thing is. Uh, 
podcast wise, I've been list, I've been watching almost on a daily or bi daily basis Joe Rogan's podcast. Okay. Uh, I have been for a long time. Uh, I just really like him. I really like that he is a a voice for everybody. He, he lets everyone say their piece. He has his opinion, but he doesn't push any agendas. He does, uh, you know, he he like he brings everybody on. Sure. Conservative, Republican, whatever. He doesn't care. He just wants to hear what you have to say and then let people decide what they, you know, what applies to them. I think that's a great podcast. Okay. Um, I also have been watching uh, a lot of 90 Day Fiance. Okay. <laughs> uh, and I've been watching that because it helps me just turn my brain off. Yep. Which you just kind of just have to do right now. Yeah. I think we all need a break every once in a while. And it's just, I call it garbage TV. Okay. Yep. I don't care about the people. I don't care about the show. It's just something that I sit there and I watch and I'm like, oh yeah, these people are idiots. Yeah. <laughs> and I just like, it helps me relax. Yeah. So I watch a lot of that. And I've been watching a lot of, uh, I watch Bill, I watch a lot of Bill Maher. I watch him every week. Okay. I like Bill Maher. And uh, I watch, uh, I don't know, a lot of, sometimes I'll like tune into like Disney plus yep. and, just zone out on some of that content too. I really like the Mandalorian show. Uh, and then at night I've been, I've made it a new tradition since the quarantine. I have, I have uh, Apple music. Yep. Uh, I, every night I download a new album okay. randomly. Yeah. And I just listen to it while I go to sleep. Oh, that's such a rad idea. Yeah. And it, it's, I just, if I don't like it, I'll, I'll maybe I'll fall asleep. If I like it, I stay up sometimes, yeah. like, but I've found, I found lots of cool bands. I found lots of cool stuff I didn't, you know, I haven't heard before. Yeah. And it's, you know, I, I try and browse. I try and I try and get off of the stuff I usually listen to and yeah. try and expand a little bit to find some new stuff. Yeah. And yeah, that's 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 what I've been doing. Yeah. I think I have to adopt that. That's that's really cool. The reason I asked that content question is because I feel that so much of what we put out as far as our creativity and our productivity is so heavily influenced by what we ingest as far as content. And so oh, absolutely. I'm always interested to hear what people are listening to and watching. Uh, what are your current top three favorite albums that you listen to? Right now? Uh, I mean, this is not all time. This is just like just right just now. Right now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so my top three favorite albums that I've been listening to is actually uh, the album Shudder by the band Bayside. Okay. Yep. Uh, I, I I used to love Bayside and I hadn't listened to them in so long. And then I just started downloading the rest of their catalog and I was like, damn, this album's awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Next album I've been listening to nonstop is Big Trouble by Gasoline Heart. Okay. Who's uh, friends of mine yep. and friends of Chris's. Uh, I think Lewis is one of the most underrated songwriters that I have ever heard. Okay. And I think that he's just incredible. Yep. And the other album I've been listening to nonstop is The Spade by Butch Walker. Okay. Uh, I think Butch Walker, he, he's like the, the writing behind so many albums that you probably like that you don't know. Yep. And his own music is just incredible. Sure. So those, those are the three right now. Okay. Uh, first live concert that you attended. Uh, it was Eric Clapton. Wow. It was, uh, it was in 1993. Okay. Uh, he was on tour and my parents took me, I was seven years old. And uh, I cried probably half the concert because it was too loud. Oh, <laughs> it was at Madison Square Garden. Yeah. Oh, wow. Did yeah. you fully appreciate what you were in the presence of as far as? No, not at all. Not oh, at all. Okay. And I, 
But they took me again a couple years later. He put out an album called Pilgrim. Yep. Uh, and there was a Pilgrim tour, and he, they took me and my brother, and uh, I was like maybe ten. Yep. And I I loved it, and I was like, this is awesome. It wasn't too loud for me anymore. <laughs> it was just like a great concert. Yeah. And yeah. Was, so he was my first and second concert. Okay. Killer. Yeah. Uh, what band would you love to tour with? What? Who comes to mind when you just have that band that you would love to be if, on tour? If with? this is like if this is like Pie in the Sky. Yeah. Uh, the Foo Fighters. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. It's my, it's my uh, top three favorite bands of all time for sure uh and i would i would yeah i would do anything to tour with them like literally anything okay <laughs> yeah that would be i i totally agree 100 percent um no. here's a question that i ask everybody what is an unpopular or controversial opinion that you have and it can be about the music industry it can be about um your favorite pie flavor i don't i don't care what just an unpopular or controversial opinion you have about something <laughs> So this is a scary question, especially right now. Okay. Uh, because everything that's going on, yeah. there's so many emotions flying around. Right. Uh, with, you know, the protesting and COVID-19 and there's just so much stuff. And I, I thought about this one for a minute and I'm going to give you three things. The first two are going to be very tongue in cheek. Okay. Uh, the first thing is I think coffee is terrible. <laughs> okay. So if you want to talk about an unpopular opinion, yeah. that is one, a very unpopular opinion. Right. I, I think coffee is disgusting. Okay. Uh, my, fe- my second unpopular opinion is I think The Office is terrible. I hate that show. Okay. <laughs> and I, don't, I don't know why people think it's funny. Uh, and again, this is one that I get crucified for. Yeah. Uh, my third unpopular opinion, and I don't know if it's so much of an unpopular opinion, but it could be. Uh, it's unpopular with certainly some people is I think that everyone needs to chill the fuck out with assaulting each other verbally online. I think, Absolutely. I, uh, and again, I'm, I'm not going to get too crazy with this conversation, yep. but uh, the big one right now obviously is racism. And, you know, the, the issues that the country's having right now with the police force and the government and the system in general. And, People who are advocating for change are, I personally feel, are doing the right thing by advocating for change. But I think that they are not selling their message to the audience they need to sell it to in the right way. And what I mean by that is that our parents' generation and our grandparents, they are not racist and stop calling them racist. They are ignorant. And I think there's a big difference. And this like, might be an unpopular opinion. But people are so quick to use the term racist, and I think it's extremely lazy, and I think it's extremely uh, unempathetic. And it's hard to want to give empathy to people who don't understand something that may seem so obvious to you, but they don't see the way they think as that. So, So when you say the term racism and racist, what comes to mind is someone who hates other people who are not like them who's someone who dislikes them, who thinks they're less than them, who thinks they're worse than them. And my mom and my dad and your mom and your dad, they don't think that. They don't think that. But the way that the the society that they grew up in is different than the society we're growing up in. And what they see as normal is maybe not, but you have to teach them that. You have to show them why. And you have to talk to them. People are so comically quick to just dismiss someone's opinion, call them a racist, and block them. And that's it. 
So and it's always it's young. It's always it's not always, but it's very typically the young doing it to the old. So what you're saying is to maybe try to handle it with more compassion. Yes, uh, and and more look at you have to look at every situation through a different lens. You're asking you're asking these people who may not think what you think like they might think these terrible things. They might not think that stuff inside them as a person. But the way that they think society runs might be okay and it's not. And and just because they support that doesn't mean they're racist. It means they don't understand your message. And you have to be empathetic to be able to explain your message. Coming at someone and saying, you're a racist, here's why, you're attacking them. You're not, they're not, they're immediately going to feel defensive and they're immediately not going to want to listen to your opinion, just like if they came and attacked you. You're not going to have a rational conversation. And I, I try and diffuse that. I, I'm not, I don't like being social uh, as far as online and having serious discussions in a public forum because of that fact. And I'll only talk with my friends in those, in that kind of way where it's like, let's have an open, honest discussion. Cause I have friends who think all different stuff. I don't think they're racist and I don't hate them. And I want to listen to what they have to say. And I want to tell them what I think and why I think what they think is wrong or why, why I think what they think is maybe just misguided. And I, I saw recently, like my mom is, you know, she's in Tennessee and she's a Republican. I know my mom. She's a good person. She's not a racist person. And she, and she had some conversation about, you know, oh, the, the looting is just as bad. Like, why are you guys looting? You're ruining everything. Like, this is not helping your message get across. And then she got attacked by someone who called her a racist and said, you're the problem. Like, blah, 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 blah. It's like, you have to understand her point of view so that you can change it. That's the only way you're going to be able to change their point of view is to find a common thread and then expand on that common thread. And then she might start to understand what you're saying. But by attacking them, they're, they're just seeing you as one of those people, that, that the agitators that they see. They're not seeing you as a person who has these intelligent, thought-out ideas. So you, have to, you really have to open lines of communication and dialogue with other people. Stop shutting everyone out. And that, it's, I, I mean, I wrote a song about it, like, because I hate the concept of cancel culture and going back 20 years and seeing something someone said and then saying, you no longer can be a person. Like, that's not how this works. Like, people learn and they grow and they change and you have to give them those opportunities. No. Um, let's just, let's quick plug your stuff here before I let you go. Where can people find you online, whether it's for um, the band or for you personally, if they, you know want to send you hate mail. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> after that long, after that long speech. Yeah. Uh, so you can go, you could find our band on Facebook. Uh, the Facebook address is Facebook backslash don't panic official. Uh, we're on Instagram. Uh, the Instagram there is uh, don't panic, just rock. Unfortunately, we couldn't get the same handle on everything yeah. because, you know, don't panic is, is a pretty broad concept. So it was already taken everywhere. Right. Uh, and then we have a Twitter which is don't panic PA. And, uh, we just, we just started our very, our, our TikTok account. Yes. Uh, I didn't start it. Our bass player did, but I've been fumbling through like a 90 year old man yep. trying to figure out how to operate this thing. <laughs> uh, and our, a TikTok is don't panic, just rock. 
Well, Rad, thank you so much, Ted. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat about the scene and behind the scenes in the music industry and maybe, you know, start a couple fights with, uh, no, just kidding. <laughs> um, but no, I really do appreciate you taking the time. It, it means a lot to me. And I know that a lot of people listening can get a lot of value from what you said, but I do want to give you the last word. Do you have a question or thought that you would like to leave with the audience? Uh, first, I want to say thank you so much, Dustin, for asking me to do this. For sure. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad to do this with my friend and I'm excited for us to play some shows together in the future. I get to hang out, have a beer. Uh, thank you everyone who's listening. Uh, and my final word would just be, like I said earlier, just be kind to each other. We're all human beings. Uh, and I like to really think that deep down inside, we're all people just trying to be good people. There obviously are bad people, but the majority, the overwhelming majority of us are good people which is with different viewpoints and different ways to look at things. And instead of yelling at each other, try and just look at other people's points of view and find something that is the same as yours in there and build off of that. That's the best way to forge you know, friendships and the best way to understand where someone's coming from. Because most people are not coming from a place of evil. They're coming from a place of wanting the same thing you want, which is a better place for everybody and for everyone to get along and, you know, for us to just everything to be fair and everyone to have a good life. So that's, that's where I'm at. All right, friends, real quick, before I let you go, I need to give a quick shout out to a few friends of mine, my friends, Logan Greeley, Ian Ewing, Aaron Jolie, and Ann Cooper for donating to the studio and helping power this episode of the podcast. Thank you all so very much. You have no idea how much that means to me. If anybody else is interested in helping power the podcast, that's super rad. All my links are in show notes, or you can hit me up via email at thestateofcreative at gmail.com. Thanks again for checking out this episode. I sincerely hope you guys enjoyed it. I know there's a million other things you could be doing with your time. And so the fact that you chose to spend this a little over an hour with me, I really do appreciate it. Please show Ted some love across his social channels. I've got all of his links dropped in show notes. And as always, you can hit me up on Twitter at Dustin Phillips, on Instagram at Dustin Phillips Music, and now on TikTok at the Dustin Phillips. Thank you all again so much for checking out this episode of The State of Creative. Until next time, stay creative.